Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Yo kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. Alright dude, what's going on man? How what's are you doing on, during these pandemic times? <laughs> Crazy times, right? Apocalypse um, now. Yeah, this is, yeah, apocalypse apparently forever. <laughs> it just keeps going. <laughs> um, I'm excited about this week's episode, man. Uh, this is going to be really cool. I'm, uh, this is one of my favorite authors, man. I love Kurt Vonnegut. So good that we're going to release it as two episodes. Okay. The okay. first one, let's uh, we're going to talk about Kurt Vonnegut and what a uh, mad genius he was. Mm-hmm. Get into uh, his uh, biography a little bit, kind of learn about what made him tick a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then for the second episode, we're going to talk about um, his greatest work, his magnum opus, as even regarded by himself, Slaughterhouse-Five. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the first episode. All right, let's do it. Hey, what's going on? Dude, I am so freaking pumped right now, man. Oh, yeah? So pumped. Oh, yeah? What happened? So, so anyways, you know, I'm getting ready to move into the van. Right. And uh, over the past, I don't know what it's been, like a couple months, I've been struggling with doing the remote uh, the podcasting. I've never mm-hmm. been able to mm-hmm. hear you in the mic. And I, I got a USB microphone that connected right into my computer. That didn't work. My other mixer um, was is powered by 110. And so I need to make sure that I streamline everything so that it just works off a of USB so that I can be off the grid and just draw minimally from the solar panels and so i got a a macbook a new macbook that is pro uh, the new macbook air that is uh, powered by usb-c and so i I was like what am i gonna do i can't bring this mixer and this usb mic sucks so i was going through a bunch of my old uh, electronic equipment and i found a little like field recorder called the zoom h6 and I started researching it, and it turns out that you can use it. It's got a, it's got phantom power for condenser mics, and you can use it as a mixer. And so I watched a couple of YouTube videos, and I'm like, okay, I think this might work. And right now, when I just heard your voice for the first time, I was like, oh, yes, sweet. Because oh. <laughs> you had so been pumped. unable to really hear, hear me clearly during the course of our previous uh, podcast recordings. Dude, so- I... Here, here's what I was doing before is I was, um, I was, I had my head over ear headphones on that I could, um, that would allow me to hear my own voice, but I couldn't hear your voice. So I had to put inside of my ears, my AirPods. So I had two sets of headphones. Wow. Like I was totally, wow. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh, it's man. crazy. Sometimes so, too much technology kind of like works against you instead of like helping you. You know what I mean? Like it gets away oh from my you. Gosh, I'm so <laughs> pumped. And but we're and, on track now though, man. Yeah. Okay, well, am, you know am. what sucks is, is, is that I set up, I took over uh, a closet, a walk-in closet in the house and I like strung up like uh, comforters with clips and all this stuff because mm-hmm. being, I didn't even tell you this yet, but being quarantined, I'm like, 
I've got to do something uh, as far as like creatively besides just the podcast. So I started recording the chapters of my book. Oh, and so, yes. so I'm going to put that out like three chapters a, uh, a week. And so I just started recording that and I'm, I'm freaking pumped, man. I'm really enjoying it. It's like scratching that itch and it'll be good to get that out there because right now publishing industry, everything's just, everything's frozen. Totally. But, Absolutely. But this podcast, this medium that we have, you know, and putting things out is just flourishing right now. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put it out there. So hopefully by the time this drops, I'll have the first three episodes up. I'm going to put it out under the title Arc Zero. So I'll keep you updated on that. It's I've got to read a little bit of it so far. I haven't gotten a chance to read all of it yet. But, uh, you know, what from what I've read, I'm way into it. So I'm really excited oh, for you to put it out there. Thank um, you, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's kind of like where, you know, it's we kind of have to adjust our lives, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I can either complain about this or I can, you know, do something different. What do you take advantage different? of it? Oh, well, yeah. uh, man, so much. Let me tell you. Um, well, I always promised not only myself, but all of my followers that, uh, <clears throat> given an opportunity, I would write a second book, my first science fiction book. Uh, cause I wrote a novel. I never tried to get it published or anything about a decade ago. And, you know, it got, mixed reviews from the people I shared it with. Um, but you know, generally positive and most people agreed that I should try it again, try to write another book, but I just never had time. And I know that's an excuse people make for themselves, but I've been doing every other project in the world. It's not like I've just been watching TV, you know, I started a magazine, but I've been working a full-time job until recently. And now I'm at home, I'm laid off or furloughed. Uh, so, um, I have a more spare time. So I, I finally started my second book. I'm like, maybe 5,000 words into it. I don't know, 12 or 13 wow. pages, something like that. Um, I don't want to give too much away of the plot, but it's, you know, a dystopian quote unquote, post-apocalyptic science fiction novel. Um, I'll reveal more details as I, you know, I'm closer to being finished and I have stuff to reveal, but uh, right now I'm calling it time and space. Just a working oh, title. Man. I can't um, wait, dude! Congratulations, five thousand words is a lot. That's yeah, a it's lot. not not a, not a bad start or whatever. I'm off. I'm off and yeah. running. Um, I've gotten a lot to spend more time on the magazine. I'm basically doing the magazine full time right now. Uh, okay. I've been seeking distribution. Um, issue four, the presale is on right now, and it's it's going really well. Um, I'm trying to presell a thousand issues by the first of June. Today oh, is the twenty wow. fourth of April. And I've sold coming up on 600. So I'm getting there. You know, it's possible. Dude, um, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. Uh, um, so, you know, uh, and I'm for every issue I pre sell, I'm donating a dollar to Direct Relief. Uh, they used to be called Direct Relief International, but it's a uh, medical charity. And they basically, right now during the COVID 19 outbreak, they're spending their resources uh, getting supplies, critical to supplies to medical professionals, masks and gloves and that kind of thing. Um, okay. So for anybody who uh, hears this, uh, go pre-order a copy of Infinite Worlds number four. Uh, help me, help uh, direct relief, help the medical community, help the fight against COVID-19. Um, it's really cool. It's got some awesome stories in it. It's got an interview with uh, Gerard Way, uh, who was the vocalist of... Uh, my chemical romance, as well as being the creator of umbrella Academy and doing numerous other endeavors with his life. A pretty, pretty awesome guy to be totally honest. Wow. With you. <laughs> um, That's incredible, man. 
That dude's um, rad. Oh, he is. He is. I, you know, I uh, honestly, My Chemical Romance is, I'm a little too old. Like, I aged up before My Chemical Romance came along, so I kind of missed it, and it's a little bit, you know, it wasn't really my scene. Uh, so I didn't know what to think of the guy. I had no, you know, uh, singers from that genre have mixed reputations and everything. Uh, but he turned out to be one of the coolest, most genuine, most humble dudes I've ever met. It, I, it's been a real, like, uh, like humbling experience for me to just to get to work with him. So, oh man, I like my chemical romance. I love them. I, I just, I never, I never, I never, I, to be totally truthfully, hundred percent honest with you, I've never given them any sort of chance at all. Like not saying I wouldn't like them or anything like that. There are bands from yeah. that same era and genre, quote unquote genre that I like. I do like, you know what I mean? So they could be great. I have no idea. I listened to his solo album pretty recently. He put out a solo album about 10 years ago or so. And it's pretty okay. good. It was pretty good. It was, uh, you know, definitely a little different than I thought it was going to be, but it had, a, I, I think it's called, it's called a uh, hesitant alien, I think is what it's called. And, you know, being a science fiction magazine publisher, you know, I've got to, I've got to listen to that, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I can't wait to hear it, dude. I really like that. I really like my chemical romance. I'm oh, kind of cool. shocked right now. I didn't hear, I didn't know that you had interviewed him. And yeah, to be I'd, quite honest, I didn't know that he created Umbrella Academy. Yeah, he created the, the crazy, comic dude. originally. It's yeah. based on a comic book, and he created the comic book like entirely. He wow. totally created it himself. And then, um, you know, they based the show on that. And he's one of the producers of the show, although he doesn't write the show. And he also was a one of the big time writers on uh, Doom Patrol, the DC comic. And, no kidding. Uh, yeah. You yeah. mean so on, on the actual comic? Yeah, on the actual comic. Like he took over writing for a while. And he's. Up wow. At, yeah. And uh, so the dude's got like serious chops. You know, um, he's not just Damn. like, uh, you know, a one hit wonder type situation or anything. I, I don't know. I think Michael McCormick's had several hits, actually. But I just mean. Uh, yeah, they do. It wasn't like his his uh, uh, not notoriety isn't confined to 2003 or whatever. Well, I, mean. I, I tell you, I tell you what, man, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I like the comic. I wasn't a big fan of the, uh, the show. I don't know if you saw the show. They just, yeah, I, watched, I watched it in research for this and I thought it was, it was all right. You know, it was, uh, it's okay. uh but I, but I, I, I liked I, umbrella Academy. Yeah. That comic is cool, man. For sure. No, I, I uh, like the series too. I thought it was cool. I really dug it. Dug I, it. I, uh, I watched it with my wife and trying to get my wife to like superhero stuff, even though this is definitely like, you know more uh the watchman than it is the x-men uh yeah uh but even getting her to like into into that kind of stuff is you know it's a tricky maneuvering so <laughs> so <laughs> i kind of um she likes some kind of stuff like that but not too much so you know and we i only watch tv when we're watching tv together or movies uh, or whatever we, yeah. we never we never do it independently of one another just because it is such a time not a time waster but it is such a time user to it's do those time kinds suck of it's yeah. a time suck, you know what I mean? So we try to yeah. only, you know, schedule a certain amount of time. And it's usually like while we're eating dinner or after we've eaten dinner, we'll sit down and watch something. Oh, dude, let me tell you something. I have to, you oh, know, I, I think I think at least 20 minutes of this podcast should be catching up because people are freaking stuck at home, right? It's not just about listening to uh, what we're going to talk about today, Kurt Vonnegut, but I, you want to talk about watching things. I have not like really gotten into anything. Nothing's really 
caught my attention in, I don't know, six months. I mean, I've watched things here and there that I'm like, ah, that was cool or that. Dude, this new series on FX called Devs, D-E-V-S. Oh, man, you're like the fifth or tenth person to tell me that in the past. Like, Oh, my gosh. It's it's Alex Garland who did Mm -hmm. Ex Machina in the beach. Oh, yeah. And so, dude, it is so, it might be the best sci-fi series that television okay. series that All I've right. ever seen, that I've ever seen. It is well, that's definitely freaking... going on the short list then. Uh, like my wife, that's actually one my wife has been suggesting to me too. Like, I don't think she's seen it yet, but she's read about it and everything. And is like, this is one, you know, uh, we should definitely check out one that we, you know, sort of a middle ground. We try to find the stuff that's middle ground, you know, that we both would be find interesting. But Winston, been, I think um, you're going to love it, man. If okay, anybody likes right. Ex Machina, it is like very cerebral adult sci-fi where you're just like, holy shit. I'm going to go. I'm going to start watching again next week. I mean, I'm not oh, that impressed with it. It's that good. We've been watching like the trash that's on TV lately. Um, like <laughs> what, t- like what? T- Tiger King. And uh, <laughs> we, we just we just finished uh, Waco well, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you think about Tiger King? I mean, wait, here's okay, the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. We're both uh, from the South, so let's, we can. Okay, we can I'm going to be honest with this. you. I never watch stuff like that. I usually <laughs> hate stuff like that. But I yeah. spent the entire, what is it, eight episodes or whatever? I spent the entire time with my mouth hanging open in just like complete <laughs> disbelief about what I was seeing. And oh like, gosh. I mean, I'm sure that's everybody's reaction, but what? uh just a shit show it was oh my gosh it it provided a ton of entertainment you know what i mean so like to be honest with you i'm pretty glad i watched it it was it was oh my gosh i'm only on like uh i think episode three or four because i have to turn it off oh because i have i being from the south in the deep south i have pt redneck ptsd there'll be times like when i'm watching i'm like i gotta fucking turn this off i cannot watch another minute of how redneck these people are it is so just like everybody's like competing to be the biggest low life you know what i mean oh my god at every angle and it's 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 a trip. I mean, I've been watching the regular, normal, like, my regular shows. I still put on the Star Trek here and there, you know, just like when we can't decide on something else. I'm like, Next Generation? And she's like, all right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and that <laughs> kind of guys, thing. But, have ahead. you guys watched P- Picard? Not yet. Well, I That's CBS All Access, I believe. And I just haven't had, uh, and I know it's like, what, four bucks a month or something dumb. I yeah. just, uh, we've just been going through the stuff we already have. We got HBO like yeah uh, uh for a short time we did the little uh uh um what do you call it the um month th- the free week or whatever and we watched all of Wa- uh, watchmen which was pretty good you know it had it had its moments um, hey alert alert hbo is free right now oh hbo so, is free right now yeah uh, well, during the pandemic well, during the pandemic it's free the whole time Okay, well, we're going to go maybe watch some Westworld, and that was on our list, but we never, we never got to watch it. <laughs> you, know, you know what else I started watching? They talking about free on Apple. Apple TV is like, not only is it a little box, but now it's a service, so you can watch it on your iPad or your computer. And so they also are offering, not only are they offering HBO free, but they have another channel, I think it's called Epics. And I've been watching a just started. I think I'm on episode three, a remake of War of the Worlds with oh, Gabriel really? Bar- 
Yeah, Gabriel Byrne. It's cool, I man. It's very it's, Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, it's very adult. It's very cool. It's uh, it's not as good as Devs, but it's very. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm like, so it's yeah, like a it's is, like a series, War of the World series. Yes, it's a War of the World series. And mind you, Devs hmm. is. I don't think that's a series. I think it's a mini series, and it's done. Okay. Because right. it really did wrap up. But yeah, War of the Worlds, I thought was really cool too, man. And that's free. That channel is also free. So um, time okay. to see what kind of deals we can get. Yeah. So, uh, so go ahead. I just, uh, you know, I have to, like, like I said before, I have to like, you know, uh, just offer up a suggestion and then we have to decide together. But I think devs okay. will definitely be next now that you, I mean, you're one of the many, many people to recommend it to me now, and my wife wants to watch it, so I think that's probably oh, good. next good. up on our list. So okay, cool. It might be but on then, Hulu. I don't, I don't know how to get it. It's. On, I think uh, it is on Hulu. I think that's right. I think because uh, she pays for Hulu. Um, okay. And I, no, we should do we should do Debs next. Um, it's uh, it's that freaking good. Where I was okay. like, this is scratching every itch that I have for sci-fi. This is mm. unbelievable. Okay, all right. So, yeah, cool. very cool, very cool. So how about um, the whole uh, shutdown thing? How uh, is everyone? Are people you know? Are they kind of going crazy? Are they? What's well, what's uh, the general consensus out there? Because we're like on week five now, right? Four or five. Uh, this is my, this is the last day of my fourth week of being, uh, uh, at home, but I don't know this made national news. A month. Might not be a, our governor, the governor of Georgia has, oh, uh, that's right. Reopened Billy, Billy Kemp, Brian Kemp, Brian the Kemp yeah. turd I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, <laughs> is, uh, ordered the reopening of the state starting Monday. And even, oh. even Donald Trump was like, you're an idiot for doing that. Uh, even know, Donald Trump right? was like, yeah, even Donald Trump called him out and threw him under the bus. And this guy, this guy, Tr- Kemp got elected in Georgia by uh, having commercials on TV where he's like, got a shotgun pointed at the kid trying to date his daughter and like talking about how he's going to round up immigrants himself and take them Such out of the state. Such a redneck. Oh, I mean, Such he's a just, redneck. He's just, he's just a complete fucking moron. He's just like the dumbest, most like, out of place. I mean, we're in Georgia, so we've had like a host of dumb shit governors going back years and years and years. But I mean, he takes the cake, man. He's just the absolute cream of the crop of conservative dumb bullshit. Uh, Oh, gosh. Well, you know what sucks about it is that he's really bowing to business interests. Oh, yeah. Because there's been this, there's, you know, a lot of people, or not a lot, but a very few amount of people are going out and protesting Mm-hmm. right now and they they did a report on NPR that are showing that these groups are being organized around the country to go protest and they're being paid for by Betsy DeVos boss's family billionaire uh-huh. family who have contributed to the Tea Party and and she's directly inside of the Trump administration she's at the Department of Education and uh she might trying, literally trying be to the destroy worst person I've ever world. seen in the world. Yeah. She might literally be the, the worst person I've ever seen. All she's trying to do is strip teachers of pay. That's all she's trying to do. That's all. That is such a right wing conservative agenda, which well, is how do we is, how do we bankrupt teachers? She just wants education to be good for those with money and bad for those without money. That's right. Create, Let's to, destroy to further, public education. Further create the divide between the wealthy and the poor. 
Uh, I mean, and that's the whole that's the whole name of the game. That's the whole name of the game for these people. And she is so flagrant about it. And I'm, I you know what? I don't want to spend the rest of the uh, episode in a bad mood. So I don't. Let's not talk about her anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's let's move on. But it is interesting that you. I forgot that you were in Georgia because that yep. is going to be the hotbed of mm-hmm. social experimentation for the 21st century because we're about to see what just might happen when you just open everything up and you know there's zero you know what's it 1% of the population probably there has been infected so far so Something 99% are going to prove able hosts and what's going to be inter- from a sci-fi perspective Winston what's going to be crazy is you know if I'm in a neighboring state and I'm in lockdown I don't want people from your state, from Georgia, coming here. You know, you, if you come oh, the, in the neighboring state, states have blockades on the highway. Really? But do they really? Really? Yeah, and Florida at least does. I know Florida does. Wow. Uh, yeah, but they're not, they're like, uh, you know, they stop traffic and are like, "Who? What's your business? What are you doing?" Um, I haven't seen the blockades shit. myself, but they had them set up. Oh yeah. my god! Well, it's got to happen, right? It's got to be like, you know what? You're not going, and we've never had that in this country. I mean, we are truly in uncharted territory. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's insane. And I think the more this goes on, where you have states doing this and other states, other states are going to have to be like, no, it's why it's more dangerous to let someone come from into California from Georgia than it is from China. You know, at least in China, they've got they've got testing and contact tracing. So I think there might be more open cases in Georgia than there are in China right now. I could be wrong about that, but it's not far off. Like I was looking at graphs. Uh, There's a great website called Worldometer, and Mm -hmm. uh, they have a special section just for the coronavirus statistics. Like, and it it's like a uh, a live number. Like it's changing as you're watching it, and it is it is harrowing to be to be sure, but. The way America has really dunked on the rest of the countries as far as being like a hotbed for virus contamination. The is, shit show of the of the world. Well, especially when you look at it per capita when oh you have God. some billion people in China and we have more cases and we're only 300 million. You want to um, talk about I'm, gonna, fail. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now because I've got my laptop in my lap. Uh, let's see here. Right now, there are. Um, 912,000 cases of coronavirus in the United States. Um, that that's we know more, of, and we're not testing. That, so well, that we are, that, that, really that are, that are, um, confirmed, confirmed. These are confirmed cases. Confirmed. And we're only testing the people. There who are, are 82,000 in China right now. Total. This is total all time. This is not new cases. This is all time. So we're at more than 10 times the number of cases uh, that China has experienced, more than 10 times. And their population, the population of China is in the neighborhood of six times that of the U.S., I think. Oh um, yeah, it's it's completely bonkers, man. Like, And if any wow. sensible person could look at this and say, wow, we need to do something about our infrastructure because we're clearly not doing something right, you know? Yeah, but, but uh, you know what though? That tr- I, I was listening to Trump yesterday, and he he. It sounds like he's got a solution. He talked about injecting ourselves with bleach. Dude. I think it was with chlorine bleach, <laughs> and then somehow putting UV rays inside the body, not just through the skin, but there are other ways. He said to get UV rays inside the body. And yeah, Doctor Manhattan can do that. We just need to hire <laughs> Doctor Manhattan. 
and we'll be it started injecting started injecting chlorine bleach it's like oh my god well it's a good thing for all of us that our president is so knowledgeable about chemistry and science that he's able (laughs) to uh you know share with us these insights um these medical insights so really it is this these numbers that we're about to hit a million cases are you know i take a lot of comfort even though i'm seeing this number right here in front of me because this this strong level-headed leader is uh taking charge you know what i mean so he's on top of shit man he's totally (laughs) on top of it so why would i even worry about this? dude every time something like this that he does something like this i send it to one of my friends i'm like see i told you we're in a simulation when are you gonna admit it as soon as you admit it the simulation will stop but until you admit it it's gonna get crazier and crazier until you finally go okay okay i agree we're in a simulation Uh, reality could not be more mind bending than it is, man. Right. I mean, we started this podcast and the world was semi normal. Trump was in office, but it was like, you know, we thought we had something to complain about. Now it's like, Oh my God, we're going to start having cross. We're going to have border blockades between States. We're going to have, Oh (sighs) gosh, it's madness. It's madness. Uh, All right. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite authors, Kurt Mm -hmm. Vonnegut, Uh uh, and specifically focus on his uh, his greatest work, uh, Slaughterhouse Five. Totally. So So I kind of want to. Well, okay. So Kurt Vonnegut is definitely, um, you know, obviously one of my favorite writers. Uh, uh, I have a Kurt Vonnegut tattoo, uh, and what is it? I didn't know that. I have the word "so it goes" tattooed on my wrist. Shut um, the on the on, up. Are you on the serious? Yep, yep. Uh, oh. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, actually, well, let's circle back around to the "so it goes." We'll we'll come back around to that. Just remind you. Yeah, we'll come back when to we it. get to talk about the book. Um, but okay. uh, he's he's been a very influential writer for me for a couple of reasons. One, um, I really enjoy his philosophy on life. I, I, I he's got kind of a sort of a somewhat cynical humanist philosophy. And uh, I think it resonates with a lot of people because it's, you know, taking the uh, medicine with a bit of sugar in a lot of respects. Like he uh, um, tells you a lot of hard truths about reality and tells you some pretty cynical stuff about reality, but he does it with kind of a, a little bit of a wink and a nod uh, and some jokes. And uh, it makes it a little bit more digestible, especially for, um, you know, uh, people who aren't used to reading the kinds of things that you and I are used to reading, like uh, extremely cynical, extremely dark things, you know. Uh, so for a lot of reasons, he's definitely one of my favorites. He's also like more accessible as a science fiction writer to the general mainstream audience uh, because um, his books aren't necessarily always science fiction. Um, he kind of like tries to toe the line between science fiction and literary fiction and you know he kind of even as a writer went back and forth between writing science fiction books and writing you know non-science fiction books yeah Um, and i I think i think one of the things that uh i I, you bring up such a good point is what i love about vonnegut is how he he walks this tightrope between science fiction, literary fiction, and just minimalist, conversational, mm-hmm. simplistic, mm-hmm. just narration. And it's almost like you're in, 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 you know, kind of dark, kind of funny, kind of where it's just like, it's just so amazing. He casts this spell. I've never, I don't think I've ever read another writer who does it. 
Yeah, it, he's definitely got a unique. It's really hard because you wanted one of the things I wanted to do when preparing for this episode was make a list of writers that were influenced by Kurt Vonnegut, and you know that's every fiction writer after 1969, pretty much almost all yeah. of them. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's hard to pick out any particular one because Vonnegut's writing style is so like unique to Vonnegut. He's so glib and he's so uh, he's so cheeky. But oh my gosh! It, n- it never is it done in a way that makes you take him any less seriously, uh, and that's yeah. a really that's a really tough act to pull off. You know what I mean? The like honestly, uh, there are Tom Robbins comes uh, is an example of a writer that I think kind of mm. does a little bit of the same. But even Tom Robbins couldn't do it with such an economy of language. It's yeah. like he's like you said before, he's able to do it in this very simplistic. I mean, he's never using the old three dollar word to impress anybody. He's just no. um, he's just telling the story as like as simply as he can, um, and trying to get hit hit readers over the head with these profound truths, um, like and he does that, that. He couches hey. in this like simplistic, like you were saying, just kind of glib black humor, and you're like, did he just say what I thought he said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's do it. Let's start. Well, let's spend some of this episode with a uh, biography of Vonnegut, so we can talk about. You know, and uh, like I'll, I'll start reading it and you can jump in and react whenever you hear, hear something that interests you, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I think that kind of helps get, paint a picture of who he was as a person. And it really. really yeah. And I, and I think it's kind of important for his writing, because especially mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. Uh, for Slaughterhouse Five, Absolutely. because which which, like I said, I had sent you a report card that he made of mm-hmm. his all of his works. And he he graded each each work, and he gave Slaughterhouse Five an A plus. And right. for me, my favorite books by him are Slaughterhouse Five, number one, and then Cat's Cradle. But Slaughterhouse Five is by far it. Um, but it's well, but the reason I was saying that the bio is very important is because it's almost it's very much draws on his own life experience. Absolutely, it's nearly autobiographical in in, in some respects. But yes. uh, okay, so let let's start. Uh, okay, so Kurt Vonnegut Jr., uh, he's a junior, was born on November 11th, 1922 in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he was this the child of third-generation German immigrants, and that kind of plays an important role in his life because, um, okay, so his grandfather, Clement Vonnegut, moved to Indianapolis in the 1850s and started a hardware company, and it was successful, and they continued to practice German culture here in the America because, you know, they came here, they were successful, they had money, you know, that enables them to continue to, you know, uh, uh, stand around their culture here in America in a new place. And also at the t- in the 1850s in America, Germans were, you know, there was a large influx of Germans. So uh, there was a lot of German culture going around. Uh and the company he started, Vonnegut Hardware Company, he started in 1852. It lasted all the way until 1965. So this was like, you know, a, a pillar of the Indianapolis community for a long time. Um, Kurt Vonnegut Sr., uh, the author's dad, was himself a uh, prominent architect. Like his, he had grown up in this kind of well-to-do family, and he became an architect. And everybody in their family, everybody... Uh, uh, since 1850 down, everybody in the family spoke German, including Vonnegut's older brother and older sister, who were born, I think, five and seven years before him, respectively. Uh, but when World War I came along, 
America entered into a war against Germany. Uh, and when that happened, there was a lot of anti-German sentiment going around. <clears throat> and the family decided that it would abandon German culture completely. Like that it would say, you know, goodbye to the old world culture. We're going to embrace being an American family wow. now from now on. And yeah. so he became the first member of his entire extended family to not be taught German growing up. Damn. So uh, so that kind of made him feel a little alienated growing up. Then, not long after he was born, like he was born in 1922, around 1925, uh, his, his family's businesses started faltering. Uh, and Vonnegut's mother was the heiress to a brewery family. And his, you know, his father's family, obviously being the uh, hardware company family, they both sides of his family came from money, but both sides started falling apart at the same time. So he also became the very first member of his extended family to go to public school in the United States. Oh, wow. So, uh, so he felt totally outside of his family for the most part. Like he felt mm. completely isolated from his family. And this kind of gave him sort of an independent point of view in life growing up. Uh, so um, he goes to public school. He, in high school, he, he joins the band uh, and finds some connection there. He plays clarinet. And he also uh, becomes an editor of the school high school newspaper. And, oh, wow. Uh, uh, the clarinet thing is interesting because he would go on to write the series of short stories about a band teacher which I don't know if you've read any uh, of his short stories, but uh, at least one or two of them appear in Welcome to the Monkey House. And they are just... No, I have the not. Oh, they are just... Are they the good? Most, oh, they're so good. They're not science fiction at all, but they're just the most beautiful, heartfelt, tender stories. And they are just so... Like, like it's really hard to read them and not kind of choke up a little bit while you're reading them. Uh, because they're they're very human. They're extremely human, and it's about how this band teacher tries to you know that use what small influence he has in life over his students to try to better their lives. And it's really it's really a beautiful thing. And wow. uh, I, I highly recommend that you know to our those of you who are less interested in science fiction, or even if you're super interested in science fiction, it's not going to hurt to read this stuff too. No, I'm going to check them out. That sounds great. Uh, I didn't know. He, I think you can find them under the band band teacher stories. I think if you just Google that, there'll they'll be a list of them that comes up. Okay. Um, okay, but being in the high school newspaper is really the most important thing that happened to Vonnegut because it was there that he discovered that he could write. He started writing for the newspaper, and he's even quoted as saying, I learned that I'm good at something and that some people can do some things better than others and wonder why other people ever struggled at them. Uh. And... And that was writing for him. He saw it and was like, wow, I can do this. No problem. I'm good at this. Wow. And uh, that plays a, uh, a really integral part in his psyche going forward, too. I'll get to that in just a minute. A little funny story about his time as a high school newspaper editor is that he shared the position of editor. He was the co-editor with Madeline Pugh. And Madeline Pugh went on to write like 100 episodes of I Love Lucy and a bunch of other shows, too. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So it's really funny that these two people from this small, I mean, it's not small town, it's Indianapolis, but still it's, you know, relatively small town, uh, go on to become like well-to-do writers because of this uh, situation. But that's just a little trivia for those out there, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's he- That's uh, cool, man. So he um, decides he's going to go to Cornell when he graduates from high school. 
And when he goes, his father insists that he take a major that's useful, like a useful major, because he's discovered that he wants to, he likes writing, but his father doesn't see writing as being a profession that, you know, one's like somebody should follow. So he talks Mm -hmm. him into studying biochemistry, which personally, I think biochemistry is super awesome. But Mm -hmm. I could also understand a person like Vonnegut or like myself having basically no math skill at all uh going into biochemistry and it being frustrating yeah and or just doing something you don't want to do exactly anything you don't anything at all you don't want to do but it's you know it seems pretty clear that he had a he was a right-brained person put into a left-brained situation like you know and uh, uh and he of course didn't love it uh was not uh all about biochemistry and his grade sort of flagged while he was there, but he did become a writer for the Cornell daily sun. And he was an editor for that, which is a really prestigious position. Cornell, uh, their, their newspapers, like there's a lot of, uh, competition to get that position. And he won out for that and he became uh, a writer and then an editor for the Cornell daily sun. And while he was the editor, he wrote a pretty widely distributed, essay on why america should not enter world war ii uh and this happened in the mid the early 1940s no uh, after, shit yeah and about really? why yeah and he he professed pacifism and basically tried to espouse the uh philosophy of pacifism to the students and it kind of got him in some hot water you know um yeah, i'm uh, sure <laughs> yeah uh he was in the uh a uh Arm, some sort of army outfit that allowed college students to, uh, you know, be in part of the army. I think the reserve officer training corps is what it's called. Like ROTC. Uh, yeah, the uh, the ROTC. But I thought for some reason I thought ROTC only went through high school. Anyway, it, no, he was part of this. College. But they booted him out. They kicked him out when they read this. They said that you, you know, you're not going to be a part of this. And then he also went on academic suspension because his grades weren't that great because he was studying something he didn't really like. Yeah, And uh, at the end of this, in 1943, uh, he washes out of Cornell. Uh, he doesn't get a degree uh, and leaves Cornell. And he is then susceptible to the draft because at the time oh, they were drafting yeah. for World War II. Uh-huh. And uh, if you were in college, you couldn't be entered into the draft. They wouldn't draft people out of college. So uh-huh. uh once he left college, he became susceptible to the draft, and he realized that he was probably going to get drafted. This is in '43. The war effort, uh, the America's World War II effort, was at its zenith. Just oh yeah, the entire nation had been mobilized. If you were an able-bodied man of the right age, you were basically expected to go serve. And even though he didn't want to, he was a pacifist. Or thought him, you know, considered dabbled in pacifism at least, uh, and wrote <laughs> wrote about it. He decided that it would be better for him to go enlist than to wait to get drafted. Um, his thinking was that if he uh, did get enlisted or get drafted, he would basically become a grunt. But if he enlisted, he could maybe have a little bit more leverage of where he ended up when yeah. he joined the joined the army. So he joins the army. And they train him as an engineer in the Army Specialized Training Program. And they're basically going to have him doing engineering stuff, which would basically more or less keep him out of the the, the front lines. Uh, but that plan gets nixed completely because the, the generals of the U.S. Army decide that 
a all-out assault on Europe and Germany in Europe would end the war in Europe really quickly. So they send every person from every different uh, uh, able-bodied person from every different program out to the front uh, to try to push Germany back into the German army back into Germany. Wow. And so he gets there. He gets trained as a scout instead. He gets retrained as a scout. Um, and it's this is a kind of a sad part of the story. Uh, when he's being trained as a scout, they actually send him to Indianapolis or right outside of Indianapolis to train. And he's there for three months. And during this time, he's actually able to sleep at his own house on the weekends and drive around in his own car on the weekends. So uh, it's this really bizarre time in his life where he's still living in his hometown but preparing to go to the war front in europe this whole time and during that time his mother commits suicide while Ugh. while he's there in indianapolis his mother commits suicide there's multiple reasons why she or you know speculated why yeah one of the, uh, her family's uh financial situation had dissolved over the past few decades and uh she really wanted she had had grown up being an heiress to a really wealthy family, and that affected her a lot. Uh, the fact that her son was being prepared to be sent to Europe to fight in a very bloody war. And then the third thing that uh, might have prompted her suicide is the one that I think is the most important, is that she herself, after her family's uh, financial situation had dissolved, had herself tried to become a writer and had sent tons of short stories out to be published and had just been resoundly rejected by every publication. She could not get published as a writer and she took it really, really hard. She thought she thought she was a good writer, but she was never got a story published. And uh, a lot of her friends and family think that had to do with her suicide as well. So um, <clears throat> that I think plays a part in Vonnegut's desire to write moving forward, uh, perhaps to, you know, so he doesn't end up like his mother regretting not being able to do that or maybe starting too late. Anyway, he gets sent to Europe and literally as soon as he gets there, well, they, they, they send him there and they send him to the, uh, the front in, I think Belgium or France. And he is, or maybe even in Germany, but he is, uh, put in a place where they don't expect there to be any enemy resistance because he's untrained. Basically. He just, just got there. He's not used to the situation. But okay. Then, as soon as he gets there, the Battle of the Bulge takes place. And for those not familiar with World War II history, the Battle of the Bulge was the last German offensive during World War II. It was their last attack. Basically, Hitler said, put everything into one last attack and we'll retake Europe. At this point, Hitler was completely off his rocker on methamphetamines and completely delusional. And Germany had zero chance of winning this war at this point. No chance at all. But he thought they did, and he commanded his troops to to strike out. And that attack was successful. They created a huge bulge, that's the Battle of the Bulge, in the enemy line and captured hundreds of square miles of territory all at once, including the entire battalion that Vonnegut was a part of that had just arrived from America literally like weeks before this. And so the very first thing that happens to Vonnegut when he reaches Europe is he's taken as a prisoner of war by the Germans. Oh, man, and, that's and crazy. That's when the plot 
of Slaughterhouse starts. And we'll get into that in just a minute. We'll, we'll come back mm-hmm. and we'll circle back around. But I'm going to put a pin in that. And uh, this is, without a doubt, the most profound experience of Vonnegut's life. Uh, yeah. And the events that play out after that. Okay, so after that, uh, all of those events play out. Eventually, he's taken prisoner. Eventually, he's released. And uh, he's sent back to the States. He marries his high school sweetheart, Jane Marie Cox. And the two of them moved to Chicago so they could both go to college. She wants to be a... She goes for Russian literature, and he's going for... I actually forgot the subject he's studying. Um, But she gets pregnant and drops out of school. Right around that time, Vonnegut uh, submits his thesis, but it is also rejected. It is compl- it, it is unanimously rejected by the, the board. So Vonnegut drops out of college again, and he leaves the University of Chicago without a degree again. So Vonnegut never technically earned a degree from any school. And uh, I know what some of you are thinking is, why is he writing a doctor or why is he writing a the- uh, thesis if he hasn't already got his bachelor's degree? Well, he was on a path that basically uh, circumvented the bachelor's. So you did all your schooling and never got a bachelor's degree on the way to getting a master's degree to getting your master's. Yeah. Right. So he basically skipped that part. Mm-hmm. Um, so his wife is pregnant. They both drop out of school during this time. Vonnegut gets a job as a publicist publicist for general electric by lying that he did in fact have a master's degree. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, it. And he stays with the company for three or four years doing a pretty good job, apparently, uh, with no degree, lying to them the whole time. Uh, his brother had worked at General Electric, and which is why he was able to get the job. Uh, he also starts during this time writing short stories. And uh, in 1950, uh, five years after he returned from the war, or for five or six years, he sells his first short story to Collier's Magazine. And he gets $750 from Collier's Magazine, which right now, that's getting insane. Uh, dude, let me tell you, man, right now, if that's I were insane. to get $750 for publishing a story, I would go crazy with happiness. Uh, that translates to, I actually put this number into an inflation calculator, to $8,000. He got paid eight thousand dollars to publish his first story <laughs> which show me a writer today who's done that i'll uh, i'll wait I'll you know on. you know i try and explain that to people is you know when i would publish pieces back in the 90s i'm like you have no idea how much more money we would mm-hmm. get paid back mm-hmm. then compared to once the internet took over in mm-hmm. the 2000s when the, absolutely and, now you almost you write for free basically I mean, it's yeah. almost impossible to get paid as a freelance writer. It's impossible. And uh, it's, 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 it's fucking crazy for writers because that freelance, those, those, that's such a training ground to become a writer. It's so important to have that. And now you have to basically do it for free. It's right. crazy. And you can't really spit, devote your time. Well, you can't really devote your you time to it because, you, yeah, because you still have to work to do it. But Vonnegut, yeah. Vonnegut was working at the time. But he sells the story for eight thousand bucks. He makes friends with the editor, uh, the fiction editor at Collier's, a guy named Knox Berger. Then he submits a second story, which also gets published for nine hundred and fifty dollars, which wow. is like almost ten grand. Oh uh, my god! So he's basically making his like yearly nut. Yeah, you know, just writing short stories. 
Yeah, you know, he's made half a year's work uh, or just writing these two short stories. Um, so he decides he's going to quit GE. And he does. He quits GE. Knox Berger, the editor at Collier's, tries his best to talk him out of it. He's like, dude, I paid you a lot for these stories because I really like these stories. You know, I talked Collier's into it and I took a special interest in you. But I can't just keep publishing your stories and keeping you afloat. And you've never even tried to get them published anywhere else. So like, <laughs> you're, you, you're taking – but basically uh, he got put into a position where he made a lot of money and right off the bat. And he was like, okay, I know I'm good at this. I'm just going to do it. And you wow. know, it, it's a pretty full – I mean Knox Berger was right. That is a pretty foolhardy thing to do. But he did it anyway. Yeah. He took his, his wife, his two kids – and he moved from, uh, I think he was in uh, New York at this point, and moves to Cape Cod with his whole family okay. and starts publishing. Uh, and then 1952, two years later, publishes his first novel, Player Piano, uh, and makes the scene as a science fiction writer because Player Piano is a uh, dystopian science fiction novel as well. All right, so that was the end of part one. Uh, first and foremost, just want to thank you for your patience. Um, both Winston and I have just been, you know, everything has been mayhem, just like with all of us, man. But we are committed to getting back on a regular schedule. Next week, we will drop part two of this episode, and then every couple weeks thereafter. Um, also, great news, I just dropped the audiobook for my sci-fi novel, Arc Zero. That is Arc Zero, A-R-C-Z-E-R-O, two words, Arc Zero. It's available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Um, I'll be dropping with that three uh, chapters a week. Um, I'm uploading six, so enjoy, give me feedback. And also have a link on my bio at Nick the Tooth. But uh, follow us both. Check out Infinite Worlds. And we will see you next week. Adios. Our theme song was by Christopher Whitaker. And our podcast graphics were by Sam the Man. And you can find him at Monitor underscore Studio on Instagram. Adios. Adios.